Today's message has been brought to you by Faith Family Church in Billings, Montana. For more information, visit faithfamilybillings.com. Let's let's go ahead and pray. We'll get started. Welcome to everybody if you're joining us live on Facebook. We're in part seven of uh, Seated in Heavenly Places. And uh, let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, we just thank you for tonight. Thank you, Lord, for your word. We're thankful. We're grateful um, for this word that you've given us, this this uh, record of revelation that we're able to read and glean from. Thank you, Father, that you've given us the Holy Spirit, who's the author, and uh, he lives in us and he teaches us. He leads us and guides us into all truth. Thank you, Father, for your your mercies, your goodness, your faithfulness. Lord, everything that you continue to do for us and have done for us, that we get the opportunity to um, to live life here on earth, to get the opportunity to serve and to be your, your uh, child and to walk with you and to know you and to exercise faith. You've provided so much for us. You continue to do that. We give you the honor, the glory, the praise for everything. Father, I just ask you for utterance tonight and boldness. And we are believing you for eyes that see and ears that hear that our, our, our lives would be flooded with light according to Ephesians 1. That the eyes of our understanding we would see and we would know. And we will give you all the praise, honor, and glory for all the breakthrough, all the miracles, all the signs, the wonders, everything that you do. Every good and perfect gift comes down from you, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variables, no shadow of turning. You are a good father, and we love you, we praise you, we honor you. We thank you for our covenant. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to go to Luke 10, and uh, I'm just going to read our main scripture. It says, Then the 70, this is Luke 10, 17, Then the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. I find that interesting, too, um, because the tendency sometimes is to rejoice over the miracles that God does than more than salvation. <laughs> And so that's an interesting uh, uh, thing that he says there, that he emphasizes the point that you're supposed to be rejoicing over your salvation uh, more. It's not that we can't rejoice over the miracles and the, the authority that we have, but the greatest miracle that we have is that we're born again. I mean, hands down, there's no greater act, no greater feat that's been accomplished in our lives um, beyond the uh, fact that we have gone from darkness to light, that we went from having the, the nature of the enemy to having the nature, the DNA of God within us. Um, it's a powerful thing. Now, let's go over to Ephesians chapter um, uh, 2 or 3, I'm not sure, somewhere in there. We'll be, you'll be close, so it'll be good. <laughs> somewhere in there, we'll be good. Um, I was reading this today and I saw this. I thought, my goodness, I never saw this before. Um, part of what we've been talking about, we're, we'll get to Ephesians 6 and we're going to hit the the uh, armor again um, in our authority and breaking the power of the devil over your life um, as far as his activity goes. Um, 
But I wanted, I wanted to look at this. There's a couple of things the Lord pointed out to me today. I just started reading from Ephesians 1, and I got through about Ephesians 4. But I saw something here in Ephesians 2, uh, starting in verse number 11, that I'd never seen before. Um, he said this, Paul said this, he said, Therefore remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands. So he, he says, once we were Gentiles, he said that at that time, this is verse 12, you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Now, now let's read verse 13. But, but now, in Christ Jesus... You who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Now watch this. I, I never saw this before, but I should, uh, I guess it doesn't surprise me. But the more you understand about the covenants as far as the Old Testament goes, what Jesus did, and we'll, we'll read a little bit more in here, is if you read this, if you go through this backwards, so if you go to verse 12 again, and it says that at... Um, that at that time you were without Christ. Are you without Christ anymore? No. So then you are no longer an alien from the commonwealth of Israel. You are now part of the commonwealth of who? Of Israel. Okay? You're part of the commonwealth of Israel. And you're no longer a stranger from the covenants of promise. Having no hope. And look at this without God in the world. So all of those things you now have. You have the blessings, you have the covenants, you have the commonwealth, and you have God in the world. You're not, you're not without God, you're now within God. Okay? So that's part of the covenant you possess. And I thought that was interesting. Why put that in the middle of all this authority stuff? So basically, if you look back over the Jews' uh, uh, the history of the Jews and what took place there and, and God's, what we call sometimes call God's chosen people in that generation from the Abrahamic covenant on. And you look and you see what the Jews did when they were in cahoots with God. Now, when they weren't functioning within the covenant, trouble, right? Okay, how many have noticed that? If you don't function within the covenant, you find trouble. Okay, you'll find it because not because God abandoned you, not because God stopped loving you. You know, we we have to get this established in our thinking that if we make certain decisions, there are repercussions for those decisions. And and sometimes and, and this is something that the uh, this is a really good truth here that the grace, the grace movement, I, I call it that. That's I don't know what else to call it. But there's been a strong the Lord had a, has had a strong emphasis on grace. And that's, of course, we're saved by grace through faith. One of the great truths that has come out of that is this, is that God is dealing with you um, based on what Jesus did. Okay, he's dealing with you that way. So even if you do sin under the new covenant and John was in first, second and third John, if you read through him, he was really honest about these things. Um, uh, uh, he talked about the importance of understanding that you do make mistakes and that there is an advocate. Right. It doesn't make the sin. Oh, grace does not make the sin. Okay. 
Okay? It gives you opportunity to go to God and get things repaired in your relationship. But when we do sin, whether it be by uh, yielding to the flesh, flat rebellion, or even if we misstep in ignorance... Okay, so there's different, we miss the mark. You know what, you realize what sin means. It means missing the mark. That's what it means, okay? We define it as a lot of things, but really, if you boil it down and you look at the words, it means you miss the mark, okay? And the mark is what? The mark is Christ, right? The mark is the law. It's all those things as far as what righteousness or holiness is. But you realize this, when you sin, God doesn't stop loving you. But how many know this, that if, if I was to continually live in alcoholism, does God stop loving me even when I'm drunk? No. Is there an effect happening in my liver? <laughs> yeah. Is that God's judgment on me? No. It's the byproduct of what? Sin. Yes, stupidity. <laughs> well, yeah. So, okay, does God have deliverance for me? Yes. Does God have healing for me? Yes. Does God have all those things for me? Yes. But where are they? They're in his covenant. They're walking in fellowship and relationship with him, right? Okay. So we got we to, gotta, you know, adjust that in our thinking. But what Christ did is he brought us into the commonwealth. We are now in the covenants. We are now in relationship with God. We are now, when you're born again, you're, you, if you look at the people of, and the children of Israel, when they were obeying, when they were following, when they were fellowshipping with the Lord according to the covenants that were given, the blessings flowed for them. Does that make sense? Why is that? Because they're in the place of blessing. They're in the place of blessing. God, God is... Um, you know, he's not, uh, it's not a matter of, so God is who he is, irrespective of what we do. Does that make sense? How many are thankful for that? He, he says, I am the God I change. He doesn't change. We are the ones that get the opportunity to change. Right? We've had choice from the beginning. We've had choice. We've had free will since creation. We've had free will. And the choice for all humanity is, will you choose to submit to God or will you choose to want to be God like Satan did? That's the temptation, right? The choice, it's not, you know, people, they got to get this out of their head. Eat the apple, don't eat the apple. No, no, no. It's the decision of, will I be God or will I allow God to be God? That's the choice that was made. And when we submit to God and we yield to him, then we come into line and we're, we're born again. That's the beginning. Then we begin to learn about the truths that have been given to us in the scripture about who the realities of who we are in Christ and the authority that we possess. And when we function within those and we live within those and we fellowship with God, truths then become manifestations in our life. You know, there's no... Um, you could be, you can, you can have all of the Greek and the Hebrew memorized. You can have all of the, the scripture memorized in the sense of know the principles, understand uh, the, the intellectual portions of what the covenant means, but you'll never walk in them without fellowship. 
You can have head knowledge, which is mental assent, but faith doesn't come from the mind. Faith comes from what? The heart. So there has to be fellowship and relationship. The difference between people that know God and people that don't is simply the decision that the individuals make. It isn't God in heaven going, I'm sovereign, I choose not to reveal myself to you, but I'm going to reveal myself to you. And there's nothing you little people can do about it. That's not who God is. So, But when you understand God's character, really what you're seeing in people's lives is they're making a choice. I'm going to either go after God or I'm not. See, you can either go home after work and turn the TV on and veg out till 10 o'clock. Or you can go home after work, sit down, turn some worship music on and pray and read your word. But we live in a society that is so ingrained with other things. And then they want to band-aid it. You know what I mean by that? Call the preacher. He'll pray. Well, it didn't work. Well, I guess God's not who he said he was. Let's build a doctrine on that. We cannot, we we have to be honest with ourselves. You know what I mean? God appreciates personal, our honesty, our blatant honesty with him. He does. Because then at least he knows he has a heart he can work with. Okay? He knows, he understands, I can work with these people. I I can work with them because they're honest with me. And then he can begin to correct and and strengthen, nurture, train us in the way that we should go. And we begin to make changes in our lives. And when we do, the covenant, the manifestation of the covenant, and the authority in operation becomes effective. But it it takes time. And it isn't an overnight thing. How many have noticed that your relationship with people that are important in your life took time? It takes time to develop, right? It doesn't just happen overnight. I can safely say today that I know Heidi better than I did 23 years ago. She knows me better than, than she did 23 years ago. And just being in love is not enough. <laughs> you, you have to grow. As you grow, you develop, you change, you realize over time, if, I'm gonna, if we're going to make this thing work the way it's supposed to, I've got to make adjustments. They've got to make adjustments. And then we come together, and that is exactly the picture of Christ in the church. Except the difference is, in our relationship with the Lord, he's making no adjustments. He's not changing one bit. Why? Because he's perfect. We're to become a what? A bride that is spotless, right? Okay, so, and that's what he's looking for in the return. And so I thought this was interesting here because I'm looking at this going, okay, what do I know from the, the Jews and what I've seen in that old covenant? I know that if I cooperate with the Lord, the covenants work. The blessings work. I don't know about you, but I want to be, I want the Lord to, uh, when, I, when, he, when he talks about me, he says, Sean's part of the commonwealth. He's in the group. And these are not just empty words. You're talking about covenant words that have been ratified in the courts of heaven by the blood of Jesus. You're not talking about some, you know, this isn't, you know, some famous law firm. This is eternal. All through eternity when Christ was raised from the dead, when you identified with that resurrection, everything in past, present, future, through all the eternities of eternities, they know that person has been stamped. They carry the seal, the the mark of heaven upon them, the mark of the resurrection, the mark of the one who what? Conquered all death, hell, and the grave. I don't know about you, but I like running with that bunch. 
You know what I mean? I'm looking forward to riding white horses. Right? I'm looking forward to coming in and moving out into everything in eternity that God has for us. But we get the blessed opportunity to practice now. Right? We get the opportunity to function within the graces now. And I find this just, it's just powerful. It says this in verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. Both what? (laughs) Have you ever thought about that? What did we just get done reading? He made the Jew and the Gentile one. Right? We we, We were outside. We were without God. I was as a Gentile because I was not born a Jew. I was without God. And when Jesus came, he made the both one. He, he broke down the dividing wall. The wall that divided, and it says this, he has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that was in the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself what? One new man from the two, thus making peace that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, for through him we both have access by one Spirit to the Father. Do you have access to the Father? Yes, you do. By him, you do. Yep. That's, where, that's why I love that verse, um, that we can come back boldly to the throne of grace in time of need to receive what to receive mercy and grace so why do you need mercy because you did something wrong so go boldly well i did something wrong i know just run in there i messed up (laughs) how can you do that i'm going through him does that make sense Okay, so not only are you going through him for forgiveness, but you're going, you're operating through him in your authority as well. He says this in verse 19, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Where is your household? It's of God. I live in God's household. He's my father. I'm a son to him. I'm, in a, I, I'm a born-again child of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God. Look at this. In the Spirit. We are being built together. Now, now you got to realize this, and I'm going to say something here, and some of you are going to, your brain's going to kind of flip on it, but you'll see it if you continue to study and continue to look at the Word. The, the body of Christ, the collective body of Christ, is not only here, it's there also. And do you know there's no separation in the Spirit? You say, what do you mean by that? What I'm saying is God doesn't look down at us and go, I got my earthly body and then I got my heaven. We're all in the spirit. He is building a dwelling place of who? He's he's building a dwelling place of God. You are now the dwelling place of God. So we are living stones. Himself being what? The chief cornerstone uh, and, and the foundations. We know this from the book of Revelation. But there's the names of the apostles on the foundation, right? Of the, of the, of, in the book of Revelation, it talks about the foundation of heaven. There are those names there. Who else's names are in the stones? 
Who else? I'm talking about the building material. That's why you're important to God, because you're building material. (laughs) He wants to have a dwelling place for God. Now I know why when I go to all those other old churches, they have all those names in the bricks on the building. They probably got it from this. <laughs> okay? I mean, I know it's just a traditional thing. It doesn't, it, it's just uh, something that's nice. Because obviously, how many buildings are there that had those names on them that are powder and dust today? Right? So what I'm saying, though, is, is that we are built into that. We are, we are to house God. We are to be not just in the building. The building here gets affected by the fact that we're here with authority. But really, we're supposed to be, and he goes on to say it here in Ephesians 3, which I'm not going to get into. But in Ephesians 3, he goes on to say, talking about the understanding of the revelation of the love of God. And at the end of that prayer, what does he say? That you might be a what? Body, holy, filled, and what? Flooded with God. In other words, what's the purpose? Why is it so strange that Peter's shadow healed people? Come on. Why? How many people, how many people do we know in the Gospels would come through crowds and attempt to grab Jesus' clothes? So what, what, the, what the religious world has done is they have deified and sanctified all those people that are dead that live that way. The problem is we have proof of those things today. We have proof of people laying hands on somebody and then being healed. I, there is proof. I've watched people have somebody stand in their shadow and the person was healed in a meeting as a demonstration of God, as a sign and a wonder that we know for a fact people have laid hands. We, I mean, in recent generations, John G. Lake laid hands on claws and sent them places. Smith Wigglesworth did it. These are recorded things that are not thousands of years in separation or hundreds of years in the sense of a long time ago. Oh, yeah, that's a fairy tale that happened. No, there's stuff going on today. There's stuff going on today. There's people being healed today. Right? From those, why? Because people get an understanding of what? Who they are in Christ. They understand their authority. Now, here's the thing that I've found in my own life. This authority functions out of relationship. So the ones that I've watched and in, in the successes that I've had, now this is not the end all, I'm just telling you what I've experienced in this and in my study on it. The ones that I've seen that have great success and those who, uh, and, the, and then the successes that I've had in my own life have always been not me walking into a situation going, I have the authority, get out of the way, here I come. But they have come from the place of me going, Lord, this is what your word says and me spending time fellowshipping with him. And then he says to me, Sean, this is what I want you to do. Because you cannot separate, you cannot separate the authority of the believer from the leading of the Holy Spirit. They go hand in hand. Okay? They go together. You have to be led. Now, if you have authority in your life and in your situation and in your jurisdiction and you never bother to take the time to fast and pray and hear from the Lord and then do what He tells you to do, that's your fault that you didn't get a breakthrough. And everybody said amen. (laughs) Or oh me, either one. It's up to you. (laughs) 
It's the truth nonetheless. The truth remains the same for me as well. If I don't take the time to know God, get an answer. You say, why do you say that? Because I'm like anybody else in this room. I take, uh, as far as like what I take seriously in study, in knowing the word, in being uh, diligent in this area, I can respond out of knowledge rather than revelation. I can look at a situation and, you know, Jesus said this. And I'll bring this in and then we'll get right over into Ephesians 6 here. Jesus said this. He said, he said, my judgment is correct because it's not mine. He said, it's my father's. So if, if Sean wants to have a correct judgment about a situation, I have to get the whose perspective. His, right? So it's the tendency or the nature of the flesh, my flesh. I'm sure yours is better than mine. But, um, but it's the tendency or the nature of my flesh to want to go, oh, I read about that situation. This is what we're supposed to do. But you know what I noticed about Jesus? He was not real repetitive in some, some ways. You know what I mean? He, Peter's mother-in-law is, is sick. And, and uh, apparently Peter and his mother-in-law got along because they wanted her... He wanted him to pray for her. So that's, that's a good sign. Maybe healthy relationship there. But anyway, um, they have Jesus go in and he touches her. He touches her. Uh, what about, so he's functioning under the authority of the father, right? So what about when he goes, he's teaching uh, in, a, in a particular house in an area and all these religious leaders are there and the Bible says the power of God was present to heal. And then these, these crazy guys get their friend up on the roof, rip the roof off, drop the guy through the roof. Well, she probably didn't drop him, lowered him down through the roof. He was already paralyzed. So it's like, you know, no, they lowered him down in and he gets down in front of Jesus and Jesus didn't lay hands on him. But I thought the Bible said lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. I thought that's what it said. Right? What about when Jesus says, uh, uh, a rich young ruler, or not the rich young ruler, the uh, centurion comes to him and says, speak the word. Yeah, but I thought the Bible said, lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. So in other words, what I'm saying is, we can be word people as long as it's within the word but we don't want to become one word people so healing is a gospel truth but there are many ways that it could manifest and so if we're going to function in our authority even when it comes to what we're going to look at as far as the uh the sword of the spirit the shield of faith all these things the breastplate of righteousness all these things there are avenues that we won't know how to operate in the 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 leading will come out of this source but we can't just pick the source we want necessarily. We need to hear from the Lord and then move. Why spit on the ground and make mud? I mean, really? Can you imagine the blind guy? <laughs> yeah, why spit on his tongue? Right, exactly. What, to loose a tongue? What? Lord, you've lost your mind. You can see why they called him crazy. But think about it. Why spit on the... Can you imagine if you're the blind guy's friend? The blind guy's going, what's he doing? What's he doing? You don't want to know. 
It's not good. What? No, I heard something. <laughs> no. no. But what was that? I only do what I see my... So all you guys that spit on the ground, you're biblical. <laughs> he saw his father do what? Spit on the ground and make mud. And then... What's he doing? He's rubbing it on my eyes. Yeah. Now go wash. Where'd you come from? He's got mud all over his eyes, you know? Where, where's, he, where's he coming from? We're in a healing meeting with Jesus. <laughs> and what did he do? He spit in the ground, made mud, and rubbed it on my eyes. Can you see? No, not yet. We're headed to the pool. <laughs> Boy, that, it's like jump through some hoops to get a healing. You know what I mean? But what is happening? Jesus is functioning in authority. He's demonstrating authority, but also being led by the Father. Or we would say, you and I would say, led by the Holy Spirit. Right? Because whatever the Spirit hears, He speaks to us. And then we move this direction. We got we to gotta broaden our thinking that way. Right? Because I've seen this. I've done it myself through the years. I have fixated on an answer that God did not give me. And it wasn't a bad answer. It was a good one, but it wasn't the God one. And we got to be careful about that. Because we have to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, I know some people are forever being led and never make a decision. And that's a whole other teaching that we don't have time to go into. Okay? Usually, the leading of the Holy Spirit is uncomfortable to the flesh and embarrassing to the flesh. Just as, a, just as a note to you. It usually is. It won't necessarily be, you know, what you're thinking. If you're coming up with it in your own mind. How many, you know when the Lord speaks to you. Because <laughs> you're like, I never would have thought of that. <laughs> you know, funeral processions coming out of town. Jesus says, stop, touches the guy, he's up. That'll mess up your day. You know, I'd be, at, I'd be talking to the funeral director. You know, can I get a refund? You get it. <laughs> I mean, we paid for it, but obviously he's not dead. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So we need to be led by the spirit. We are in these covenants. We are in this place. We're in a, the commonwealth, the blessing. What do we need? What do we know from the successful stories of the historic Jews that walked with God? They had relationship with God. That's what we know. Abraham, get up, gather a bunch of wood, grab your son, you're, you're sacrificing him to me today. But Lord, he's the promise. See, this is relationship. See, the Lord sometimes will deal with people. You got to let this go. Well, but I, you know, I don't want to let that go. I know. But when you do, you'll have a resurrection. So let it go. Just let it go. And you'll have a resurrection. Amen? All right, let's go to Ephesians chapter 6, uh, verse number 10. It says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. We see here in verse 10 that we are to be strong in the Lord. 
Not in ourselves, but in him. And, and, and we must be, this must be settled in us. So when you're thinking about fighting, when you're thinking about the fight of faith, and when you're thinking about uh, using your authority, don't think in terms of your own strength, because that's not what you're operating in. You're operating in his strength, amen? You're operating in his power. So say it with me. Say, I don't have to be the power. So you can relax, take a deep breath, let it out. When you rebuke the devil, he's not waiting for you to flex. <laughs> okay? He's looking. See, if you've rebuked the devil and you're standing your ground, if you really want to scare him, rest. And you'll put the nerves in him. Just relax. Laugh a little bit. <laughs> you, you'll, because, see, what are you doing? You're now in faith, and he knows it. He recognizes that laugh. You say, how do you know that? Because the Bible says that God sits in the heavenlies and laughs at his enemies. And if you laugh from God within, whoo, it's like it's in the spirit. If you could see it, it's like what we see in the Old Testament where at different times, you know, like uh, who was it? Gideon. They broke the pots and they, you know, lit fires. They did all these different things in the Old Testament that were that. The, you know, the military today and other countries talk about these amazing war tactics. No, it was the anointing of heaven. It will drive the enemy crazy. They'll turn on themselves. I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about the devil. Okay? We're not fighting flesh and blood. And so when you function in the spirit and you're strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, the other side of that is this. You realize that verse is talking about joy. Ephesians 6.10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, right? What other scripture talks about strength? The joy of the is your, yeah. See, that verse is talking about joy because it's talking about strength. So do you ever, have you ever noticed that when you feel down, you feel weak? There's a reason. It's spiritual. The Bible doesn't say, my spirit comes in with great oppression and depression and weakness. No, it says, let the weak say. See, that is the, some of the hardest things to get uh, Christians to do. Because you know what they do? They go, uh, but I don't, that's not what I feel. Well, your feelings are not supreme. God is. You have to say what he said. Don't get mad if you don't get what he said, if you don't say what he said, right? So those are truths that we need to understand. So your strength is not in you, it's in the Lord, okay? It's in the Lord. All right, so you are strong in the Lord. This kind of strength and this kind of, uh, and in the power of his might, this is, ru this is ruling power refers here to stability in life. We talked about this. This power, this strength, the power and might, and we talked about this last week, but they are kratos and iskis, and it means might, and it means endowed power, and what it is is it's ruling power, and it refer refers here to stability in life. Be stabilized, having the inner power that keeps you always upright. Ruling power is on the inside of your spirit. That ruling power was endowed to you the moment you, accept, you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And sometimes people go, well, it doesn't feel like it. I know, you've got to grow in these things. Remember, the word is seed. 
And if we don't develop that resurrection within us, if we don't take time, if we don't continue, this is why we push reading the word, push praying, push praying in the spirit. Why? Why talk about those things? People are like, I want a 20-minute message, and then I want to go home and live my life. You can, and God will let you, and by golly, when you die, you'll go to heaven. But I don't know about you. I would rather have a good time here first before I go there. I would rather walk with the Lord close so that if he does come before I throw this physical body off, I won't be hiding behind a rock somewhere. I'll be standing outside going boldly, hey, we're here. You know, I'm going to have those orange cones. Land here, you know, now let's go. You understand what I'm saying? In other words... In other words, you can have a comfortable, soulish, fleshy Christian existence that you think it is. But when all hell breaks loose, do you know who you're going to call? The people that have learned how to know their God. The ones that know God, and I don't care what anybody thinks, and I'm going to declare this in the name of Jesus. I believe that there is a generation of Christians that are becoming very dissatisfied with their toe-deep relationship with the Lord. All this, oh, we're uncomfortable with the tongues, and all oh, yeah, and you have no power. And you have no ability, and when, when everything goes wrong, you're scrambling to try and know God. In other words, you're trying to build a house in the middle of the storm. And part of the problem in that is this, is that the, it's the preacher's fault. <laughs> you know what I mean by that? You understand what I'm saying by that? Because out of fear of having a small congregation... The preachers patty cake to the fleshly nature and the soulish desires and the pressures of the world instead of yielding to the resurrection within them. And what they're demonstrating and saying is, I love me more than I love you. I love my status. I love my position more than I love the call of God and the grace of God and really the Lord Jesus himself. Right? Aren't you glad you don't have to say it? <laughs> I'll say it. There should be something in believers that are okay with being hated for following Christ close. It should be okay. It shouldn't be, this is something that I know I'm going to get into even more. Why are you surprised by your fiery trial? The disciples never went away from getting their rear ends beat. And it wasn't their rear, it's their backs. Their, I mean, just, they never went away. You do not see a great congregation coming together in the scriptures of self-pity. Right? You see a group come together and go, oh, Lord, we were beat for you. Do you think it felt good? No. See, that's suffering the way Christ suffered right that's suffering that way so when we need to realize this when we're functioning we're taking up this armor all these things that are going on around us when we're functioning this way in these verses that we're going to have opposition you do realize that the greatest uh what we see in acts as far as very powerful moves of god great persecution happened at the same time it did right there will always be an enemy 
always be an enemy. Why? Because not everybody's going to get saved. Not everybody will. Do I wish they would? Absolutely. I, well, I mean, I don't even have to say that. The Lord wants them to. He's provided for it, right? <laughs> but there's always going to be that place of having to deal with these things. And so we don't want to be weak. We want to be strong and ready so when the battle comes, um, we, we're able to go, yeah, let's get this done. Here it comes. Let's roll. Right? Let's roll. If we do this in the natural. We honor, honor men, we honor women that stand up in horrific situations and perform and, and step out in courage and great boldness in the face of fear. How many remember 9-11? The guy, uh, what, what was his name? I don't remember his name, but he said, let's roll or we're going to roll. He left a message for his, his family and that was a statement he would always make. And it was, they took those terrorists out of the cockpit of that airplane and then crashed that airplane in a field somewhere sacrificing their lives. See, we honor that strength in, in, in the world. But in the church, it's like if you ask somebody and, and you declare or you, you, you step out in a place of wanting to be bold and strong and sacrifice and run into the battle, it's like it's, oh, don't be that way. No, we all want to come together and hug and pat a cake each other and just hope we make it to heaven someday. But I just don't see that in the church. I don't see that as the mark of greatness in the church. It's not that we don't have tears. It's not that we don't have disappointments. But what I see as hallowed, as greatness in the New Testament and even in the Old Testament are those who stood up for the covenant in the face of burning furnaces. That's greatness in the kingdom. The great, those are the greatest things. And we need to understand and get back. We have the authority to lay down our lives for the kingdom. Does that make sense? So in other words, what do you, you say, what do you mean by that? You have the authority. Uh, think about missionaries that go to islands where the people are known cannibalists and headhunters. And they go in. And they pray, they believe God, they raise money, they go in there not knowing if they're going to be killed or not. What are they doing? They're functioning in spiritual authority. You say, how is that spiritual authority? They got killed. Oh, that's the greatest level of spiritual authority demonstrated on the planet. Why? Because they overcame the fear of death. Amen? The Bible says that they laid, if you read Hebrews 11, you'll see it in there. They laid down there, and what do they receive? The scripture actually says a greater resurrection. I wonder what that's like. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that just amazing? To me, I read that stuff and I just go, whoa. You know, the, I have a, a Memoji. Haven't even seen those, the emojis, but it's your picture. I've sent it to some of you. Yeah. One of them is my head being blown off. You know, mind blown. <laughs> That's what this needs right there in the middle of that. I, I, because why? We carry within us the nature of the one who allowed himself to be crucified. That's authority. How do you scare a person who understands that death has already been conquered in them. Now take up your armor. And fight the enemy. 
Do you see that? You say, it is that whole thing of, you know, the devil says to you, you're going to die. And you need to say, you're not going to scare me with heaven, devil. Stop the fear, right? Attack. People say, well, I know, but I've yielded to it for so many years. It feels like it's so strong. I know. But you know what? Day by day, minute by minute, as you stand up and use your authority, you drive it back, drive it back, drive it back. Pretty soon you'll go, where'd he go? And the Lord will say, he fleed from you. He fleeted. He's gone. Yeah, but I've been living this way for, you know, 45 years I've had this fear. Good. It's a good time for it to be driven out. Thank God for his mercies, amen, that are new every morning. So go ahead. Go ahead and use it. Yeah, but what if, that, what if, what if, and stop that thing, kick that record out, pull the needle up, break the record in half and throw it out the window. Amen? And get a new thing playing in your mind called the word of the Lord. Amen? The word of the covenant. Verse 11 says this. Let's look at it again. It says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. If we do not have authority and if the enemy will not flee from us, why bother telling us to stand? Why not just say pray and see if God does something? <laughs> Sorry, I just, those, some of those doctrines, I'm just like, you guys didn't try very hard. You didn't look. You didn't dig. Now, I understand you read your theological books, but they should have read the Bible before they wrote the theological book. You know, some people went to cemetery, not seminary. <laughs> they went to the land of the dead. All right. So God's not dead. He's still up. Why put that in there? If that's not for our generation, what generation is it for? If it was only for Paul, how are we going to start classifying scriptures like that? We can't. God's not dead. Two movies now. Maybe three. We ought to have it by now, right? From this verse, it is clear that we are the ones who are to do something about the devil. Verse 11. Put on the whole. The whole means the complete armor of God. That you may be able to stand against the wiles. Wiles means strategy of the devil. This verse is in the imperative mood. It is a command. So you have no option. Paul is, at this time, an ambassador in chains. As he is writing this letter, he is confined in a Roman jail with two guards outside. He could look at the soldiers and see their armor. Roman armor did not cover the whole body like that of the knights in the Dark Ages. There were specific pieces of armor. The Lord reveals to Paul, to him, through the Spirit, the armor believers have in the spiritual realm. Paul is writing this from a first-hand experience. He tells us to put on the whole armor of God that we may be able to stand. The word able here is in the continuous present tense, meaning we might continue to stand. Stand means to hold your ground, and the idea is against the wiles, strategies, tactics of the devil. Paul is using military terms. So what are what you're able, you're you're able, you are to what? You are to stand. You are able, you have the ability to have a continuous stand against the strategies of the enemy. 
So what, if, if, if I'm in, in looking at this verse and in thinking about it, this is what goes through me. There should never come out of our mouths, I just don't know if I can stand anymore. Because what do we do? We have to tie this now what to verse 10, which is what? Be strong in the... Now, if you're just speaking from the standpoint of your physical nature, okay, I understand that, but that's not what you should be focusing on. You should be focusing on your spiritual nature because you're not walking by your flesh. You're walking by your spirit. Your spirit is a brand new creation in Christ Jesus. Paul revealed this to us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. He said, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. All old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new and all things are of God. So the ability to stand. The ability to hold your ground in the present tense. What are we in right now? We're in the present, right? What what were we at about an hour ago? (laughs) We were in the present about an hour ago, right? So we could stand then. But what is an hour ago now? It's in the... You can't get it back. God's not asking you to stand against the enemy 20 years ago. He's asking you to do it now. But the enemy has hoodwinked many Christians. They're trying to fix things from 20 years ago. You can't. You can't go back there. Now, it may have an effect where you're at now, but you need to present tense. Use the strength of God, which is, we just saw this in the Greek, it is stability on the inside of you. And in that stability and in his strength, you have the able, you are able, the ability to do what? Present tense, continuously stand against the strategies of the devil. You have that ability living in you. Right now. (laughs) So that song, you know, people say, uh, no devil, not today. You know, and I I like the song. That's, That's great. I think it's great. But do you know why, no devil, not today? You better know why. Because the devil, the devil doesn't mind if you sing Hillsong songs all day long, if that's who it is. I don't know who it is. But anyway, he doesn't mind if you sing those songs all day long and you're ignorant. And you just are in the emotion of the music going, I feel the anointing. The, emo- no, no, the anointing is not an emotion. The Holy Spirit is not one walking emotion. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead. What if I said about you, oh, Mike, he's just an emotion. Have you ever met the emotion? (laughs) Now, Mike may, may induce emotion. You may encounter emotion rising up within you when you meet him. But that you can't say Mike's an emotion. No, the power of the Spirit is within you. You have the ability to stand against the enemy whether you feel like it or not. That's what faith is. So he says this, for we do not wrestle, verse 12, against flesh and blood. Actually, I got to go back and I got to finish this. We're to stand against the strategies and the tactics of the devil. Paul is using military terms. This verse parallels Galatians 5.1. Stand fast, which means hold your ground, Therefore, in the liberty, not in the bondage, wherewith Christ has made us free. You've got to stand fast in your liberty in Christ. You've got to hold your ground against the enemy. This is also a military term, meaning once you have taken the high ground, hold on to it, plant your flag, don't budge. 
What does the high ground sound like? You've been seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Don't let the enemy have that spot. The only thing the enemy can do to try and get you out of that spot is talk you out of it. He's got to get you to agree with him. Okay? Verse, um, so put on the armor so that once you conquer the ground, you can stay. This is the devil's world, but the church is conquering and occupying new ground each day. We are marching to a victory and from a victory. Jesus conquered Satan at the cross, and we are enforcing the victory after the cross. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand stand here we see the enemies that we are to fight the good fight of faith against a good fight is a winning fight let me ask you a question here real quick verse 12 says this or basically this is the implication we are to take the offensive flesh and blood refers to human beings we do not fight men we fight the demon powers that back them Our weapons are spiritual in order to destroy spiritual beings. Only flesh and blood fight with physical weapons. So we are to fight. Now, let me ask you this question. We'll end right here. I got just a couple more minutes. This is where we'll wrap it up. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. How many times have you seen or even felt yourself or yielded to or saw others yield to not uh, to crumbling in the evil day? And it's like a, it's like a um, I mean, I know we show mercy to 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 those who who uh, where the enemy has effect and he takes effect in the body of Christ. But what is Paul saying here? Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the in the evil day. Paul is not saying here and then he says this, and having done all to stand, what are you supposed to do? <laughs> so let me ask you a question. <clears throat> Should we be able to withstand the evil day? Ooh, now we're getting into it, right? Well, what if I... Do, we'll just use me because I, I don't mind. Um, we'll just, what if I don't withstand? What can we conclude from these scriptures? What if, what if I got saved 23 years ago and I ended up dead four years later because of drugs? Is that just the mysterious will of God? No. What if I was taught these scriptures uh, uh, the whole year, uh, the first year I was saved, I was taught how to put on the whole armor of God. How to withstand the enemy in the evil day. How to, when I, and then, when, and then I was, I, I mean, I could quote it, man. And when you've done all you can to stand, stand. And people come up to me and say, oh, uh, what are you doing? I'm standing. And what else are you doing? Well, when I've done all I can, then I stand again. And then over a period of time, the enemy takes me out before I'm supposed to. Because I already had a call of God on my life. I'm already called to preach. What did I not do? I did not take up the whole armor of God 
with, wherewith I am able to withstand the evil day. In other words, Paul did not say, sometimes we just don't know why. Now, we may never know why individually a person cut out early, was taken out by the enemy, whatever the case may be. We may never know why, but there is a reason why. And if I'm judging my life and I'm looking at my life and I'm going, Lord, I have quote unquote struggled in this area for 20 years. Why have I done that? I'm talking about me now. Go ahead. You can answer to me. It's because I have not done what? Taken up the whole armor of God. It's, it's not because God provided uh, uh, a half, uh, a half, What's the word I'm looking for? Not empowered, but uh, supplied armor. It's not because the Lord was like, well, I'm going to save them to this point and give them what they need right to here. But there's probably evil out beyond that that they're going to run into and it'll take them out. No, what happened to me? I did what? Guys, listen, I'm just going to, we got to deal with this. This is not a condemnation thing. At all. So don't let the enemy put condemnation on you. What is this with me? Every major breakthrough I've had in my life. What happened? I got to the place where I went, Lord, you're right. I'm wrong. Fix me. Fix me. Because your word, and this is what I love about what Brother Hagin taught us. I mean, one of the, I mean, I, I love the faith. And, and, and the other things. But one of the things he demonstrated to us and taught us all the time was this word is supreme. This is the mark. This is it. This is the answer. And so what do I have to do in this moment when I'm looking at these scriptures and I'm going, well, if you've given me enough to withstand in the evil day and I didn't withstand or I haven't seen the victory yet, what do I know? I know, God, you're not the problem, so I come before you in the name of Jesus. Father, I apologize. I thought I saw this, but I don't. Lord, I know that you're merciful and good, and you'll give me more grace when I humble myself below your word and I look to you in heaven. You'll teach me and give me understanding so that I can walk out what I haven't been able to up till this point. And Lord, I just declare right off the bat this is not your uh, uh, this is not some strange will that you have for me that I don't know about this is not this is not you uh, withholding from me this is me not cooperating with you like I should please help me and when you're in that place of and in the nature of the flesh is this way it is hard for your flesh to do that especially publicly which is thankfully why God deals with us 99.9% of the time privately. Amen? Okay? I mean, I could be reading your mail right now, and you could just smile and go, yeah, amen. Somebody needs to hear that. <laughs> Nobody will know the difference, but you can go home tonight and go, Lord, I apologize. And you can do it while you're brushing your teeth. You can. And you know what the Lord will say? I forgive you. Now let's work on this. And you'll get a victory. And then what? Now what do you have? You have an answer where you can release an authority to someone else. 
In other words, the glory goes from generation to generation. You now have breakthrough where your parents struggled and you don't and where your kids never will. Because why? Even in the midst, you know what I found? In the midst of the Lord's scourging, I'm like, that was awesome. Because I walked away from it. As long as I kept my heart right with the Lord, I walked away from it going, Lord, you're right. Man, I did that. That was dumb. And he goes, yeah, it was. Hurts, don't it? <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, that hurts. Yeah, that does. I don't ever want to do that again. Help me, Lord. By your grace, I'll take in and I'll believe you. And we're going to another level. And in the midst of that, the Lord then can open up those windows of heaven even more in your life. The things that you think or that you see in the word that you haven't seen in your life or I haven't seen in my life, those things begin to open up even more and even more. I mean, this year in front of me, hi, if you could see what I see. Now, that's the same for you. The more you know the Lord, the closer you get to him. Oh, we withstood in the evil day. And here we go. Here we go. Even greater. Amen. And you can have light and light and light and life more abundantly. But again, led by the spirit, fellowship with the Lord, standing on his word, place of humility so that grace can come. God gives grace to the, and he resists the proud. Do you know what pride is? It's either thinking higher than the word says you are or lower. Either one. You see that? Either one. Doesn't matter. You can go, I just, I don't know if I'm righteous. And that's pride. Because you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Or you can go, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, I'm I'm all right. I got this. I'm going to, bam. You know, pride comes before a slug from the enemy. (laughs) In other words, you'll open yourself up. But when you're in that place of humility, the Lord will say, go ahead and declare that you're the righteousness. You're righteous in me. Go ahead and do that. And then you'll walk out into a battle where you have full armor on and you go, Lord, I just thank you. You have given me this armor. And you look at your enemy and you don't go, just wait till I come get you. You look at him and say, uncircumcised Philistine. I got a covenant. And no, I'm not that great. But you know who is? Greater is he who's. Yeah, I guess so, huh? We are in him. And we are of the commonwealth of Israel. We are one. We are in the covenants right now. In the covenants. Our kids someday are going to come to us and go, thank you for being in the covenants. Yeah, buddy. Yep. And the Lord gets the glory. Amen. Father, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for those that are here and those that are watching online. Father, this word is ours. We protect it. We keep it. We're open to it. Thank you for understanding. We resist the enemy. We won't let him steal it from us. Father, we choose to be humble and choose to, to, uh, 
be low before you so that your grace can operate in our lives. We're so thankful for it. Thank you for making us worthy. Thank you for making us righteous. We declare that it is in you and not in our own works. Lord, we dishonor you and bless you. We take this word and we are doers of it and not hearers only. We armor up and we hold on and keep it on as we continue to walk in the covenants with you. And we thank you for your goodness and your blessings on our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen today. If you would like more information about Faith Family Church, including service times and location, visit faithfamilybillings.com.